To teach not taking things personally is not one more way of how can I blame myself for everything. And it is not another way to let everyone else off the hook. It is to help us to focus on the most effective ways to respond when we are in emotional distress. Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote in 1952, if we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, we will find at the root some unhealthy dependence and its consequent demand. Wilson suggested that if we could identify and continually surrender these unrealistic and unrealizable demands, that we may then be able to accomplish what he imagined to be the recovery's next frontier, something he called emotional sobriety. Flash forward 70 years and join psychotherapists and best-selling authors Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger who have taken up the mantle of exploring Bill Wilson's new frontier. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. I'm Tom Rutledge. With me, my good friend and uh, man I've spent a lot of quality time with in the, in the last 14, 15 months, Dr. Alan Berger. How you doing, Alan? I'm great. I mean, it's so true, isn't it? I mean, if we were living close to each other, we wouldn't well, have spent as much time. Uh, as we no, 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 no. I, I've, I've had friends who we've moved closer together because to, we like to spend more time and we see less of each other. It's like, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's such a weird thing. But no, you, you and I have, have, have spent some seriously quality time. This, 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 it is one of my favorite silver linings of all of this uh, uh, unfortunate crisis with the, with the pandemic, and uh, but I'm glad to do that. And I love and I love the work that we're doing that's uh, com coming out of that. And I love being included in that. And and speaking of the work we're doing, I, I know you'll you'll probably mention it somewhere along the line, or Patrick. But but this week is the week of your virtual book, book release party. I'm so excited about that. Looking forward to it. On yes, Thursday. and you're gonna be you're gonna be participating in that. You're gonna. Mm -hmm. I've asked some of my closest friends and colleagues to read a portion of the book and then discuss mm -hmm. whatever however they're moved by that portion i'm mm -hmm. so excited about it. it's on thursday night mm -hmm. um at 7 p.m and if you want to come and you're listening to this podcast it's open to everyone we already have 200 people signed up for the book release party we got room for 300 more so come on down so to come speak on. yeah if you go to f now this is the number 4d phd so 4dphd.com if you go to that website, you can RSVP and you will be sent the Zoom ID and the link next week and love to have you join us. And 4, 4D, for people who don't know, that, that, that's, that's because your publisher is Fourth Dimension Publishing, right? That's that, right. The Fourth okay. Dimension yeah. Publishing House. And, and, you know, it's taken off of that thing that if if we that we can be rocketed in recovery to the fourth dimension and That's you it. and I I are we really been talking about how emotional sobriety is that engine that rockets us into that fourth dimension it really provides I like that that it's the engine that rockets us into it as opposed to emotional sobriety is is the fourth dimension it's like like who, who the hell knows what all the, we're, we're heading to but I've noticed my language about talking about emotional sobriety uh, has has evolved to uh, I've actually noticed I use the phrase the teachings of emotional sobriety it's like it's it really is these are all things that we and hopefully you know we, we wouldn't be putting ourselves out here as having some expertise with this if we didn't believe that we have something to, sh to share about that but we also always make that point 
it, not with not with any false humility, but with just genuine humility that we're that we're all in process here. We're all we're all works in progress, and we're and we're and we're learning as we go. And I, you know, which is one of the things I love about the way we do our work, which is, you know, we can come on here one week and then next week I can come back and go, Hey, remember that thing I said last time about so-and-so I now completely disagree with myself and have, and have, have changed to thinking this way. And that that's not seen as, Oh, I, I failed because I, I was, I was wrong about something, but it's seen as growth. Yes. Very true. And look, that's to me, you know, when you were sharing that, what came to my mind is how much, you and I have just extended this discussion of emotional sobriety this mm-hmm. last year. I mean, here in our podcast that started yeah. with a mm-hmm. with a with a podcast to help people get through COVID, then turning it turned into start right here. And then we yep. decided it's about emotional sobriety, the next step in your recovery. And we've dedicated mm-hmm. our podcast to that. And I I experienced this growth with you as well. In fact, the topic that part two of the topic that we're talking about today this not taking things personally i see that as an extension of of what bill originally talked about because in his letter he never talked about not taking things personally i mean you can see that there's some kind of reference to that and you can extrapolate to that but applying this idea to it was never really explicitly or overtly stated by bill And it's such an important part, as we talked about in part one. Look, you can listen to part two. You'll get a lot out of this. But I would encourage you, if you haven't listened to part one, go back to last week's podcast, (laughs) put it on and play it, because it's really foundational to what we're talking about today. And what we said we wanted to do is we wanted to go beyond just what, what Don Miguel Ruiz started in his discussion of stop taking things personally in his wonderful book, The Four Agreements, which I think is, is wonderful. You know, he, he talked about that book as being, I always love this title. He says, it's a practical guide to personal freedom. Mm-hmm. And that's what emotional sobriety is. It is a guide to emotional freedom, is that we're, we're really going beyond the ideas, the connections that we had before that so much tied us into everything that's happened around us to determine who we were. Yep. And we're moving to that other space where now we're finding a way to become that determining force in our lives rather than letting our lives be determined by all these things around us. So that's where I wanted to start this with, Tom. And so let me share okay, this. You see what you think about it. Okay. The way I was thinking about this beforehand, I, 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 I'm like you, I have these musings like 10 minutes before the show, right? <laughs> yep, yep. And I was thinking today, you know, how do we want to extend this discussion? And I think what happens is what sets us up to take things personally is this focus we have on needing environmental support to be okay. And as you and I talked about, dependency is not necessarily a bad thing. My God, if we weren't dependent on our mom when we were in the womb for everything, we wouldn't be here today. I mean, we needed her. We needed her to be willing to provide us with everything she provided us with in order to be able to be out here and to have this show and to talk about. So mom, wherever you are out there, (laughs) thank you. Thanks for doing all that and putting up with all the the stuff that he had to put up for me. 
Because I mean, I know there was a time in my life where you wouldn't have given a wooden nickel's chance about what kind of life I would have <laughs> if but, she was a, if she were a betting woman. That's right. <laughs> you put a wooden nickel on it. That's how. That's how much she was. How, she was in that. Bed. She wouldn't. But see, that's the thing that you and I discovered. There's something in us, and that's that is what you, you and I celebrate all the time in working with people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love how you say it. Sometimes you're sitting there and seeing somebody in pain and you're smiling. Yeah. And, and it's not because you're a sadistic bastard. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> that's, that's, another, that's for another show. And another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a different topic. But but no, what you said to me and, and I and I so identified this when you said it, because, you know, you were just more honest about it than I've been before. You just said, I sit there smiling because I know the journey they're going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. know what this is going to mean for them. It's it's like you see the beginnings and 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 remember see because we 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 rearrange our own memory, you know, we you know that that we talk about in addiction recovery, we talk about euphoric recall and stuff and the dangers it has where we just remember the good things about the alcohol and drugs or whatever. But euphoric recall is 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 a concept that is really well is important to understand throughout all of this. And and one of the things is we rearrange our uh, memories as you know as we as we go along. And one of the things is uh, in, in some ways it, it happens because we tell our story and that's and it's a good thing but we so we so we to tell a story is a is a is a longer uh process than actually going through our story so a lot of times we we have associated these positive wonderful things that have come from the struggle and the suffering that we volunteered for in therapy and we we forget that we didn't know our ass in a hole in the ground when that that day then when that began it's it's like it's not like oh good here's here's something that's really you know it's just like you know very often you know, when a therapist would say something to me that I now quote, you know, regularly, the first time they said it to me, I, I thought, what a fucking idiot. We're smiling because we know that the, the pain they're feeling is going to be part of something really, really important to them. That's right. And it's, and and, and it's, and it's our way of sharing too. You're going to love this, whether you get it or not right now, if you, to the degree that you can trust me, this is, this is really, this is really a good path. That's right. And, you know, you and I have seen that a lot. And even the Thursday night meeting since we started the emotional sobriety thing. I mean, my God, people are coming in and light bulbs are like popping all over the place. Mm -hmm. You aren't you aren't too worried about what if they never learned a lesson? Like you mean in general or? Well, I suppose, uh, you know, the pain that people are going through. Uh, there's not a concern, I guess, that maybe they'll be crushed by it, or maybe they'll take the wrong door, door number one, door number two. And well, they're, they're, well, they're, I mean, they have choices, and and, and they may no. Well, that, I I guess I think I see your point, and if you're, it's like, yeah, I don't, can, I don't know yeah, that I have can, a point. Yeah, no, no, the, no. The point, the point. Well, no, well, then here's the point I hear in that, which is, by the way, just because I see something, recognize it, and under, and believe it's something somebody's great potential doesn't mean that they're going to make the choices to follow that through. It's like, you know, my, whatever it is I'm saying at that time. And I think this is probably true for you, Alan, as well. Whatever I'm saying to at the time is just my part in encouraging them to stay on that path because sir, I have, I have a concern that they're not going, uh, I mean, I have, if somebody were to say, well, this person may not stay on there, that would concern me. But in, in light of what we're talking about, about not taking things personally, that's, that's, that's not my focus. My focus is not, they have to do that in order for me to be okay either. Right. That's one of those places where I, you, you can sound kind of harsh as a therapist when you're going like, like, you know, it's not, it's, you know, it's not going, you know, I, I can, I will feel when people don't do well or people relapse or people don't make it. 
you know, I feel, I definitely have feelings about that. But one of the things I don't do is I don't take all of that responsibility on. I take the responsibility that is my responsibility to do my job in the best, you know, as, as Sheldon Cop says, and, in, in back to one, uh, uh, to do always do impeccable work. You know, my job in the moment is to do that, but it's, it's like, but, but the truth is also when I'm in those spots with those people, I'm usually feeling pretty positive about them because, because they're there and they're being honest with their, their feelings. And, it usually means they're going to make it. And I, I, that's the way I would say it, Patrick. I, I don't think that we're so focused on the outcome. We're more focused on having faith. Yeah. That a faith based on the deep knowledge and experience of what's inside each one of us that Tom's experienced personally, mm -hmm. that I've experienced personally, that, I see happening in your life that I see happening in hundreds, thousands and millions of other people that have found a new way of life that's based on, you know, a willingness to you to some different principles in their life, right? Mm -hmm. To find a set of, of ideas and, and concepts that can really invite that person's you know, what I would call healthy self, if you will, mm -hmm. recovery self, into participating in their life instead of you know being given all this privilege to my attic self or my worst self my god i gave so much privilege to that part of me you know tom described the relationship to the attic self once as a command obey relationship mm -hmm. this part says jump i say how high mm -hmm. i mean and that turned around that part says jump i say no I don't want to do that today. I know that doesn't make sense to me. I know that's what you think is a good idea, but mm -hmm. I see where that goes now. And I don't need to go along with that. I know you think that that's part of the solution for things, but I think there's a better one for me. So we get into this new dialogue. That's so exciting, but let, let me, let me take this where I was going with this environmental support. So it, there's nothing wrong with us having this idea that we need the environment support from the environment to be okay. We wouldn't be here if we didn't have that support. Right, if, right. The, if the, if the atmosphere I was in didn't provide oxygen, I'm in trouble. I can't do this alone. I need my environment to provide certain things. I need relationships. We need relationships early on. My we, don't, we don't take it personally. If we say, I, I can't breathe. Well, we don't take it personally. It's like, <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> right. But that's an interesting observation. See, there's a whole different dialogue that goes on with the biological imperative mm -hmm. and goes on with the psychological imperative, mm -hmm. right. the psychological imperative that attachment to my mom and to my caregivers, my dad, was so important because just like I thought I needed the oxygen, I did need their love and support to get through those early years mm -hmm. to help me learn how to show up in this culture that I'm in, to impart the culture to me, to impart some ideas about how to cope and survive. Now, as, a, as an infant and as a child, I couldn't be critical about what they were providing because I didn't have that cognitive ability yet. Right. We, no. we, have no con we have no contrast. Even if we had cognitive ability, we, even when we get older, we don't have a contrast. We, our, we're, we don't, we're not looking at a book that's describing healthy families. We don't have that. We, there's no right. way that normal is what is happening in my family. That's my normal for me. Right. And that's why we say, well, Tom and I, we've seen this in, on, mm -hmm. on some of our clients' faces. We'll, we'll say, wow, that wasn't normal. And they'll go, mm -hmm. 
wait a minute. You mean what was going on in my family wasn't normal? No, it was. And they're going, oh, my yeah. goodness gracious yeah. me. Oh, I, I remember that. I remember when I got into to therapy, especially when I got involved in doing groups as a client. It's, it's like uh, you know, I always say the way I say it in hindsight is that the longer I stayed in therapy, the, the sicker my family got, you know, because I, <laughs> I go, that's not right. You mean, oh, my God, that my, my mama right. did that, too. It's to like, say. you know, and, and it's not and it's not just to, it, it, it's not just dissing the, the whole family. It's just understand. It's, it's about ex, I always say it's not about blame. It's about explanation. We're yes. learning about how we came to be the way we are. And that's when that's one of yours and my favorite parts of this is because, you know, as, as we've often said, is our, our job is ultimately to show people how they're not crazy. That basically it's so you, you look at what your norm was and we say, well, how the hell would you have come out any other way? So our desire to please and cooperate comes from a strong survival instinct. I need my mom, my dad. To, to be attached to me and to be concerned to help me grow in, in, in this and to be what I can be. Now, they can only help me to whatever degree that they were able to grow and become what they could be to whatever degree of emotional maturity or differentiation, however you want to call it or talk about it is fine with me. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not, I don't care about the words we use. I just care about the process. So my focus on what's going on in the environment was very important. I had to figure out, was this pleasing to her or not? You know, I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to belong. That was very important for me. So my focus on that and trying to figure out how to get my parents to do that. And the first thing I did to do it was I smiled at them. Mm -hmm. At baby smiles in their, you know, mm -hmm. there was this one, um, I forgot kids cartoon. And it was about these puppies smiling. And it was like, don't watch the puppy smile or don't watch the puppy's face because it's too cute. <laughs> you're going to get bonded to the puppy and then you're going to want to buy it. See, it's that whole thing is because that's what happens. That's all. That's what I'm trying to do to, to cement that attachment, right? To participate in it. But if I'm in a healthy situation, my parents are going to help me grow and differentiate myself from them. But not many parents understand that and, and can really participate in our development in that way. You know, they get threatened, if you will. They get threatened by if I'm different than what they think I should be. Oh, my God, it's a bad reflection on them. Yeah. See, so now there's this pull to be what they think I should be rather than to support me to be what I am. I love the example you give about the uh, draw, the child who does the drawing and then brings that to the parent. Because you, when did you learn that? Was that after you had children or before? Well, I learned that from Dr. Kempler. Is he, that's one of the things that he would talk about so much is that the importance of seeing a child. The two things a child needs to differentiate is to be seen and to be celebrated. I'm so glad that you're a part of my life. I'm glad you were born. And also... I see who you are and you don't need to be, you don't, in fact, I want you to be what you are, not what I think you should be. Well, one of the, one of the correct me if I'm wrong here, the job, the, one of the main, one of the jobs of the parent is to be a mirror for the child. So what you're reflecting back in that way is the, is the child, not you. And, and like what, what happened, you know, and what you've made, and I think it's an important point to emphasize that, that 
in terms of looking at all this stuff from in, the, in our past and our families with compassion is that our our parents are limited by their own developmental issues and so, and so that's that's so we always want people to know because often they feel disloyal talking about family when they come into to therapy that, that we're again that's where i say it's not about blame it's about explanation it's about coming to understand this so that we can make the changes that we need to make for you it's it's like uh because a lot of times, well, you know, we, we you know, there, there are exceptions to this rule, but, but for most of us, we could, we could easily say, no, no, whatever we, whatever we were getting was the very best that they got because they loved us, you know, and, and, and we, and that's, we're not ever here to, to take that away. But the, the example you're talking about, about, you know, which is, if I remember correctly, the one about just saying, oh, good, the, the, the drawing is good is, ref, is reflecting back. Oh, you seem so excited about having drawn this you see yeah, it was a really great process for you. you that's a reflect you're actually you're the mirror that's basically showing the child the child rather than just showing your response which becomes almost a behavioral learning thing right if if i do this then i do good you know right and, and i get i get my treat or whatever yeah and, and and also part of that development you know patrick is to not be afraid to frustrate your children and I don't mean sadistically. Once again, it's yeah. not. I yeah. want my kids. Alan, Alan has no fear of this. Apparently, I don't know. We're going to talk to. Him. We're gonna, that's another session. That's another session too. Bring the kids on and let them talk. But but so if I say no and I don't want to do something, and it's a genuine no. It's okay that Cece or Maddie get upset with me. Now they learn that in reality, things aren't going to always happen the way they want them to. And so it's also not my job as a parent to do everything they want. And some parents forget that and they get lost. Well, and, and, and what they learn, too, is that love doesn't go away. It's not conditional. It's like, right. no, no, all the stability, all this, uh, the other stuff is there's not, you know, there's, you know, in my family, you know, would be emotionally punished, you know, by, you know, by, by, by not doing the, the thing that our parents wanted, my parents wanted. It's like, like, um, yeah, the idea, the idea is the love, the, the, they learn only by doing that do they actually learn about unconditional. Yes. Because right. because it's, it's like like, you know, you're 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 they, they, they're mad. They're they're upset. They may say mean things to you and you're still there putting them to bed and tucking them in and, and being sweet to them. Yeah. So here I am. Right. I'm focusing on the environment. You know, is is my environment going to meet my needs? Because I'm so dependent at that point. At some point in time, you know, we know about this biologically, physically. I walk for myself. My mom doesn't have to carry me. I'm able to get around. I'm able to run. I'm able to now start to differentiate from my mother's, from my need to be carried around, right? So I'm now starting to literally and psychologically moving towards standing on my own two feet. But see, parents support physical differentiation a lot better than they know how to support psychological and emotional differentiation. Yeah. It's just, it's the physical happens. It's a biological imperative. You're going to move that way. You have to work hard to stop a kid from walking. <laughs> I mean, you really do. Because that force is so great. They want to do it themselves. You don't even have to tell a child to do it. A kid wants to talk. They want to find a way to communicate. They want to make connection. That is just built into a kid unless they've got some difficulties, some neurological difficulties that are preventing them from learning language. But what I'm saying is the psychological part is, is it takes a more intentional approach 
to help a kid stand on their own two feet psychologically. Let's say, Patrick, you're at school and you come home, I'm your dad, and you say to me, dad, dad, God, you know, Billy didn't want to play with me today. I'm so upset. I don't think he wants to be my friend anymore. Now, how do I respond to that? How do I respond to my son, Patrick, who's obviously in emotional pain? I could say, think, and this would come from trying to be a good parent. I could say, don't worry about Billy. Who cares what Billy thinks? You're okay. I love you. You're a great kid. Now, I'm trying to help you. And everything I'm trying to do is to try to help you feel okay about it. But what I've just done is I've dismissed your feelings and I haven't really addressed what's going on with you. So I'm not helping you learn how to cope with things other than telling you that you shouldn't be bothered by that. Well, great. Now, as you get bothered by it, all you can do is feel what? Shame. God, something must be wrong with me. Why can't I do what dad told me to do? Not worry about what Billy's thinking about. That wasn't very helpful, even though I did it with the best intent in mind to help my son. How, how discouraging is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, do, dog ear that for a second, Alan, because I want to keep going to see where you're, you're going with that. But one of the things I want to say is that because I, I have, you know, because I've heard from uh, I hear people sometimes who trying to get some clarification and we're not taking things personally. And that's exactly what they misinterpret is being said is, oh, don't, don't worry about it. Because what you're actually literally saying is don't take Billy personally, but, it, but it's, but it's, but it's like what you're, you know, the whole idea of not taking things personally is about, a, a, it's a method of going inside ourselves and understanding ourselves better and, and taking better care of ourselves. And so the idea is it doesn't mean we're not telling people don't care about other people. We're not, we're not even saying don't care about what they think. What we're saying is this is where the process starts. Yes. You know, that's, that's right. one of the best 12 step principles that I, that I live by, which is always start on your side of the street. It doesn't mean that they don't have a shitload of work to do over there and whether they'll do it or not, I don't know. But, but it's like, I love that you said that because I want people to know we're not ever saying, Oh, fuck Billy. We don't care about Billy. So, no. you, you know, we love you. So everything's okay. It's like, no, we got to go a different route, which is where you're going with this. Right. I so glad you dog eared that because that mm -hmm. is so important because that can be, easily misinterpreted to mean that and and i get it i can see you and i've had many people come back and say that are you saying what do you mean what is your you know now one more thing that's all my fault yeah yeah it's, exactly it's, it's, yeah yeah so now so now i'm now i can't do that oh boy now contrast that if i said to you wow son that really is bothering you i can tell you you're very concerned about what just happened today at lunch so first of all I take a moment to connect and have empathy with you. I can see you're terribly upset. And now I go into a certain kind of inquiry with you. I say, what do you think that says about you that Billy went and played with somebody else? Tell me what that means to you, son. So now, as Tom says, I start to explore it with you. Tell me what that would mean, what that meant to you. What do you think that's saying about you? And after you talk about that for a while, I might say, what do you think it might be saying about Billy that he didn't want to play today? You know, now I give you a chance to think about how, what that might mean about Billy and what's going on. If you, if I hear that you're interpreting some of that personally, I could say, well, 
you know, maybe there are times when you don't want to play with Billy too. Does that mean you don't want Billy to be your friend? And then you go, oh, wait a minute. No, there's times that I haven't played with Billy. It didn't mean, so is it possible that Billy might be thinking that? You see, so what I get you to do is I start to get you inquisitive, as Tom was just saying, investigating your reaction, not dismissing it, and giving you little clues on how you might be able to unhook this and not take it personally. Do you find that children have this capacity to actually do that? That's that's amazing. I got to practice. So listen to this, Tom. I mm-hmm. thought you'd love what you hear a lot. Little Maddie. So we're in the car. We're moving to Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So th- this was classic. She goes, mm-hmm. Dad, how do you think people in Pennsylvania feel about people from California? Wow. You guys can hear that? Can you hear yeah. what she's asking? Yeah. Dad, am I going to be acceptable mm-hmm. in Pennsylvania? What's it going to be like in terms of, are they going to like me? Or are they going to not like me? Because we're moving there, you know, you guys know. So, that. Right. So, so the first thing you have to do is not tell them the truth, which is that people from Pennsylvania don't like you Californians. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> right. <laughs> I go, well, I'll, nobody, try, I'll, I'll tell you this from Tennessee. Nobody understands you people. We get the airport in Philadelphia <laughs> If you're from California, please go back. Right. <laughs> we, no, let's, let's just talk. I'm speaking for all the other states. None of us understands you people. Is that- <laughs> so, but you guys get the anxiety, right? Yeah, what is yeah. she afraid of? Am I going to be am, liked? Am, what are people going to think yeah. about me there? You know, this is what I was saying before. This is such a built in concern. That's great. Because, uh, because we need that. Now, you know, my first response is to say to her, wow, I can hear that you're really concerned about that, honey. Aren't you? You're really worried about dad. Yeah. You know, what if they don't like me? You know, what if they, she started, what if they don't like Californians? By time we finished the conversation was what if they don't like me? Right. Because you notice how she started with it. She tried to safer, safer that way. Right. Mm -hmm. Californians. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe I can just lie and I'm not from California. If they don't like Californians, I'll just lie. That's what my solution would have been. As a kid. <laughs> well, hey, I, I'm, I'm not part Jewish. I'm all Italian. Right. <laughs> I did, swear what, to God, what, I did that. What I, states? What states do you like? It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah let's, that's right. But you could see the concern is so. Now, if I go into that inquiry, inquiry I was telling you about, what do you think it would say about them? What would it say about you? Then the next important question is. What do you think you could do about that with you and Billy? What would you like to do about that? What would you like to say to Billy about it? What do you think would be a good thing to talk about? If you, you know, were you able to tell Billy you wanted to play with him too? Were you able to ask for what you needed? You see, instead of then being a passive observer to our lives, I can encourage her. What could you do to try to get your needs met instead of just letting what Billy is doing? determine what goes on or for you, Patrick, this I'm <laughs> confusing you with Maddie right now. Let me differentiate, you know, but if I was talking to you, I would say, what do you think you could do with Billy? Do you, did you, by the way, did you tell Billy that you wanted to play with him? No, he just went and played with someone else. Wow. Was there any other possibility? What if, you know, what if you went up to him and said, Hey, I want to play too. Is that a pot? You see, so what I'm doing is helping a kid 
developed this ability to take care of themselves, differentiate themselves, and become that active determining force in their own life. Yeah, and see, here's the thing: the con- there's content and process here. It's it's like you're also by you know you're you're not you're not actually talking to Maddie. You're not talking to a little girl about process, but you're you are working in process because you're teaching because you you are the model, and she is is and when she goes through many of those experiences, which she's already been through, where where you're you're guiding her through and you're responding to things like this with questions and helping, you know, she's learning to explore this stuff because so many people just learned when, when we, when our feelings are hurt, we shut it down. Yeah. It's, I mean, I work, I'm working with a couple right now and I've worked with many couples through the years. It's like just to get them to ask a few questions after their feelings are hurt is really a big deal. And they're often surprised that they can still do it. And it's like, well, you're, t- so what's happening is, is not only this particular, you know, you know, I mean, she may or may not remember one day, you know, her, her nervousness about moving from Pennsylvania to, to I mean, to California, to Pennsylvania, but, but she, she will be, she is integrating that process of, of, in, of inquiry that you're talking about that people personal that, that, because that's, that's, you know, when you talk about the environment, not depending on the environment, what we're, we're always talking about is inside out, not outside in. Right. And, and when, you're t- when you're teaching, when you're doing that, whether that be talking to Patrick, who, you know, is asshole Billy is, you know, messing with him. It's, it's uh, uh, you know, or, or Maddie with, with, her, with her move. It's like you're teaching, you're teaching them that distress is the beginning of a, of a process. Yes. Not not the place not the place to retreat, not the place to, to deny, not the place to, to run to, to duck and cover. It's like no, no. This is where we, this is where we just get interested. We get you know. Well, we, you, t- you and I talk to clients all the time. Let's get. I, this is fascinating to me. I'll say this is. Let's get curious together right. about this. And see what do you see? It, it's so great doing this with you because that's such an important thing you just pointed out. I'm teaching her how to stay engaged yep. with what is happening instead of avoiding it yeah right and so many of us because we don't have the tools we want to avoid that god that friendship might be risky i've got to have certainty that this is going to be okay that it's going to be this way or else i don't want to be in friends well and and we could the three of us consider we could come up with with a, a large list of really loving positive well intended reassure attempts at reassurance to that child what daddy said that would actually be shutting it down right like would i could be, say billy's be, a jerk that billy that kid mm-hmm, billy did that again mm-hmm, to you oh yeah. my god you should not with with maddie you, you with maddie you could also just say say no 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 they they like them fine everything's going to be okay it's like okay well it's, you know pause yeah. anybody have a problem with this so go like well no i get that but it's like one of the, i wrote about reassurance a lot in, in embracing fear and one of the things that i came came up with in that is that that in order for it to be helpful reassurance has to be credible and so, you know, if I if I tell you that I'm afraid of something and, and you say with good intentions, oh, don't be, <laughs> you don't have to be. I go, you know, what I'm saying, I'm probably nodding at you on the outside, but inside I'm saying, fuck you. You know, that's, you know, but for you to go there with me, that's the process of, of finding reassurance. Yes. And that's what you're helping her find. That's right. That's right. So look, so this focus on others and why why we end up taking it personally, because early on, that's really where things were at. And when we talk about our failure to grow up is our failure to differentiate 
our helplessness or near helplessness as a child with our agency as an adult. See, mm -hmm. this becomes such a critical thing is I can do a lot more with that than I could at five years old or that Maddie can at eight. I'm going to try to help Maddie figure it out a lot more, but she is very focused on how's that going to be? Because right now, how that, how, what goes on in our family determines her, her, you know, she can influence it to some degree, but mom mm -hmm. and dad are creating the atmosphere here. Mm -hmm. So this movement towards now standing on our own two feet. And that's what's so exciting to me about this emotional sobriety stuff. This is the process of us growing up as yep. of moving from an undifferentiated state to a differentiated state, moving from being completely dependent on our environment for support to now learning how to support ourselves in relationship to our environment. It's not that we become an island unto ourselves. That's not what we're teaching here. We're teaching we stay in relationship to our environment, but we have a healthier relationship with it. Well, and what this well, exercise is, oh, sorry, I was going to say okay. is uh, this exercise is reminding me that the earlier in our lives that this process can take place, the less fucked we are. <laughs> And, well, in later come life, on. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I'd like to be Maddie today. I mean, I wish somebody, I wish I was. Yeah. You know, I wish somebody would expose me to this stuff. I mean, I, I'm still figuring this out at 69. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hopefully in 20 years, when we celebrate 20 years on the show together at 89, mm -hmm. you know, I'll say, my God, you know, I've gotten a little farther on this. But my <laughs> God, it's wouldn't it have been great if any of us had this stuff early on in our life? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Plus, I, I promise you, this is the truth. I've already, I've, I've already worked with with many people who are children of recovering addicts, uh, uh, and I meaning they were born after their parents were in recovery. And it's like it's a you know, therapists will never be out of work. It's a whole other thing. It's like you know, you, we have children of, of adult children of alcoholics. You can have adult children of recovering alcoholics. It's like, see, Maddie's going to be in therapy, and the therapist is going to be asking them questions, and she's going to be going like just stop asking all these questions I grew up just surrounded by people who were so interested and curious about me and, and always wanting to know more about what I was feeling, I know. you know, That's good. Right. Cause you just tell me what to do. <laughs> you know, it's always a balancing act. About finding that balance between two things and stuff. But, but look, what we, what I want you to hear when you're listening to this show is that this taking things personally grew out of this, and need for our environmental support. We all needed that. Yes. And it's not that, that you're wrong for doing that. It's just mm -hmm. a step in your development or a step along the way in your development is a better way to say that. You know, Tom and I mm -hmm. have, have really tried to emphasize over and over again, don't pathologize yourself. Don't sure. make yourself wrong. Don't shame yourself. Don't look at yourself in that way. I want you to look at yourself as having all of these possibilities to become what you can be. And we can all do that once we start to figure some of this stuff out and put some of these ideas in a different order and in a different mm -hmm. way. And it starts to open up 
all kinds of new doors and new possibilities. Yeah, it's let me let me. I want to read something. If that's okay. I'm going to just just a couple par- short paragraphs that I that I was trying to put together before I was telling you before we went on that I was trying to do this, but it's just a clarification because this is in response to a couple of people that I've heard talk about. You know, is is you know that or I don't think they didn't say it this way, but I could tell that they, that it was you know don't worry about what Billy says stuff. They were they were you know or the other thing they would be hearing is oh so if I'm if I'm my feelings are hurt. And it's not because that person had did it to me. That means that I'm, I'm to blame for this. And it's like, you know, so one of the things we're talking about is, is and this is, goes throughout the, the whole process of emotional sobriety, is distinguishing very clearly between responsibility and blame. Responsibility moves, we, we, can, we, we can talk about that a lot more in the future, but responsibility moves forward. Blame, blame drops an anchor in the, in the moment and then leaves us in the, and gets us stuck in the past. But here, here's what I wrote as a clarification for someone that had asked me about this. To, to, I want to see what you think about this, uh, because if you like it, it's going in the book we're working on. So I'm, working, I'm in the process of working, working on our book. Uh, to, to, teach, to teach not taking things personally is not one more way to, to blame our ourselves for everything it is not to let any and it's also not to let anyone off the hook it is to help us to focus on the most effective ways to respond when we are in emotional distress so the so what i'm saying there is that the hurt becomes the cue that tells us to pay attention you know we don't we just need to be rescued immediately from that ways ways uh, what we were helping with is ways to help us learn more about ourselves and specifically what you've been talking about today, how to take better care of ourselves. That's right. So there's more to that, but that, that's the, it's the idea. This is all about using the pain as a cue to say, okay, what is that positive opportunism we talk about? What can I do to learn? How can I become better now? So just read it to people one more time. I want people to really absorb what you just said. Read it one more time. To teach not taking things personally is not one more way of how can I blame myself for everything? It, and it is not another way to let everyone else off the hook. It is to help us to focus on, on the most effective ways to respond when we are in emotional distress. Ways to help us learn more about ourselves and specifically how to take better care of ourselves. And that's enough said, man. That's a great way to end our show today, Tom. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Everybody stay tuned. This is uh, just the beginning of our discussion about emotional sobriety. And um, we'll look forward to seeing you guys next week. And I hope we see you all on Thursday night for Alan's release party. Peace out, guys. Tinge your life. Tinge your myth. Cultivate your narrative with whomever you're with. Then with glass in hand and children on one Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me. It ain't a crime to be a human. Never be ashamed to be yourself. Rest assured that whatever you're doing will entertain me like nobody else. So here's to us, my old friends. Until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again With glass in hand and children on one knee Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me